Hello and welcome to Movie Ghoul Round, the film podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is a spooky around the world. Hello everybody, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me for the fourth episode of Movie Ghoul Round 2022, Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm well. I can't wait to talk about this horrible political allegory, <laughs> actual true story. Both of those things at the same time with some folk horror thrown in for spice. Yeah, and it is really just for spice. We'll get into that more. David Luzader, how are you? Oh, I am I'm doing well. I'm here to talk about the... We watched the Netflix one, right? That's the one I was supposed to watch for this. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I watched. I, watched I almost turned one. off the recording and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> no, no. I watched the good one. Yeah. I think one. the good one. I have not. No, I have seen the, the questionable Linda Cardellini plays a Hispanic woman Ugh. in the Conjuring Universe version of the Curse of La uh, Yorona. And Italian, Hispanic, same thing. <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, in Hollywood. Yeah. Right. So, but before we talk about this particular movie, next week is you did this to us. It's always a fun you did this to us because it is a horror themed in, in some capacity because we are doing the movie Ghoul Round right now. So you are still voting as we are recording this, which means future Nicole in editing is going to let you know right now what you ended up voting on. Hey, everybody. It was tied for a while, but we finally got a tiebreaker vote in Under the Wire, and we will be watching 2017's The Snowman. It's about a man who's tracking a serial killer who I guess is called The Snowman because of his M.O. Should be interesting. It's by the director of Let the Right One In, starring Michael Fassbender and Rebecca Ferguson, and... Apparently, there's something that went on where it didn't get finished, but they edit it together anyway. So this is going to be fun and interesting to see if we can even follow it. Enjoy next week with The Snowman. All right. That's what it's going to be. Hooray. Hopefully you guys voted well, but judging on how the voting is going right now, I'm going to safely say you did not. So we will definitely see, though. But this week, it was 2019's La Llorona. It is a Guatemalan film. This was my pick for Around the World. General Enrique Monteverde is facing public judgment for violence perpetrated by his troops against the indigenous people of Guatemala. For a week after the trial and its overturning, his family must reckon with constant protests, what they believe about him, and what they think he deserves as judgment of another kind approaches. So, had you guys seen this film before? No. Uh, nope. Okay, cool. So I, I didn't think you would have. Um, it was a Shudder original, which is really interesting. Like Shudder was was standalone for a really long time and then got bought by AMC, uh, AMC, the television network, not the movie theaters. 
and they've done really cool stuff with it. They've kept it separate of AMC Plus, and they've made a ton of original horror content. So non-sponsored throw- shout out to, to, to Shutter <laughs> if you want to check it out. It's a pretty cool streaming service. But with that said, um, I remember checking this out when it came out on Shutter because this was right around the time I was getting really into the streaming platform. And it's just such a unique film. It's beautifully shot. It's almost not a horror film, but it's just enough of a horror film for it to be really unsettling. Mm -hmm. And I think it proposes a much more interesting theory and take on the folklore of La Llorona. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes her a much more dynamic and interesting character haunt in this movie. So I I have a fondness for this movie. It's just kind of a bizarre film. I think it probably caught you guys off guard a little bit, too, as it did me. I, I was very surprised because I was like 45 minutes in the movie before Alma even shows up. Uh, and it's like pretty clear right. once she shows up, like, okay, she's going to do something here. <laughs> right. But yeah, it was just, there was like some hints at some stuff going on, but really like this movie was just kind of about the family being in the house, having to deal with the ramifications of all these events much more than it felt like it was about the and all that stuff wove together but it's just it took a while for the horror elements i guess to start like seeping mm. in which uh definitely an was an hour and 30 minutes in what is almost an hour and a half movie <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah before that time the spookiest thing that happens is carmen the general's wife starts having these nightmares yeah yes yes she does start having these nightmares which are clearly maybe not clearly but in my point of view planted by alma by mm-hmm. La Llorona, because she starts to experience some of what La Llorona experienced, you know. So just for those unfamiliar, the original version of the La Llorona tale is that a mother is so angry with her husband because her husband cheated on her that in a complete fit of rage, she drowns the two children that she had with this husband. And then in her despair, then drowns herself as well. So it is somewhat of a water-based myth in that regard, which is why a lot of the scary things that happen around this movie have to do with various things flooding and water trickling in the places. But that's the thing I really wanted to call out first with this, is that this director made a very conscious decision to make La Llorona, rather than like this like scary, haunted character that um, killed her children, instead, it is the the horror and despair of a mother whose children were taken from her right. by the violence happening in Guatemala, which is an interesting take because it makes her the victim. Yeah. I mean, I think that <laughs> I was going to say, I like that better, but you know, I don't love the victimization of women in, in any capacity, but I find the woman killing her own children out of spite myth to be, less I mean there are rotten people everywhere and occasionally that's going to happen with super narcissistic people but I find that much harder to swallow than what happens in reality a lot of the time especially during civil wars is women have to watch their children die and that made a lot more sense to me to have that be the driving force behind the myth here does it make you root for her? (laughs) 
Well, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of commentary in what's going on, right? Like, they're sure, they're using, like, historical events, but, like, it feels like, okay, they're still talking about political corruption in the world today in a lot of ways. Like, there's a lot of messaging in the movie that was very interesting. Well, there was a 2013 trial about the genocide that happened in the 80s in Guatemala, and I am blanking on the... The dictator's got <laughs> name. You got me? It Jose Efrain Rios Montt. He ruled Guatemala for about... Yes, who conveniently also has a terrible mustache. Yes, he... Actually, they, they make up the man who plays the general right. to look almost exactly like him. Exactly. Jose Efrain Rios Montt uh, ruled Guatemala for close to 17 months during 1982 and 1983. And there was this tremendous wave of genocides that happened during this time. They thought about 200,000 people were killed and more than 80% of them were the indigenous people of Guatemala. Right. And this was because he was almost paranoid in his conquest of removing communist sympathizing guerrillas from the country. Right. I did a little, little bit of research on this which is not pleasant, but I felt sure. that in order to do this justice that I, I should make myself look at that. And um, yes, he was certain that because they had been talking about maybe organizing the workers among the indigenous people, that they were therefore leftists, therefore communists, therefore sympathetic to the guerrillas, therefore just as bad as the guerrillas, therefore... right. No need for trial uh, before executing them just summarily. Yes, there were 15 massacres resulting in the death of uh, 1,700 indigenous people during his rule from 82 to 83. He was tried in Guatemala in 2013. And an interesting call out is when the United Nations did an internal report of the Guatemalan armed conflict. 93% of the human rights, its abuses it documented, uh, it attributed to state security forces. So those are the kind of people you see guarding him in this compound that he's all holed up in. Right. It was all carried out for the most part. I mean, there were a few right wing vigilante groups who were conducting this sort of thing, but it was pretty much either actual government forces or government-approved forces or government-sponsored forces in one way or another. Right, right. So I think this gets directly into, you know, one of your discussion topics here, Nicole, which is, does the topic from last week still stand when we talked about Hereditary? This movie would still qualify as horror, even if there weren't any occult themes in it. I don't know, because so 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 just to give some background, the director of this film and this film was met to broad praise. Mm -hmm. It was considered to be an Oscar uh, contender, but unfortunately didn't make the cut. Uh, Jairo Bustamante is the director. Jairo. um, And he made a comment where the reason that he wrapped this in the story of La Llorona was simply because he read surveys, audience surveys in the country of Guatemala and saw that the two most number one genres that Guatemalans went to the theaters to see 
were superhero movies and horror films. And he said, well, we're not going to make this a superhero movie, but we can definitely make this a horror film. And that is the reason this is a horror film. Otherwise, yes, I think you could make a damning political drama without the need of La Llorona, but I don't think it would be as compelling to the audience to go and see in the first place. I don't know. And and also, I mean, this is a a horror movie is interesting. I think there could be a whole debate around that because like at no point was I really like scared by this. Not to say that all horror movies have to scare you. Horror is, is a very broad genre. I totally understand that. But I don't know. It was just like I, I was waiting for this guy to get his comeuppance because after the, mm. you know, he gets off at the trial, it's like that's what we're waiting for, right? And I, and I didn't feel like typically those malevolent forces in movies, it's like, oh no, I, I want the person who's going to be the target of them to not be the target of them. In this case, though, like they established right off the bat, hey, this guy did a lot of genocide. And I'm like, okay, cool. Ghosts can take him. <laughs> when is that <laughs> happening? You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I was apprehensive about, you know, something happening to Sarah, the the innocent and all this, the granddaughter. Yes, absolutely. 100%. Yes. I was really worried that either La Llorona was originally there to hurt his family members first to hurt the general that way. Mm-hmm. But I was also worried that the general was going to end up killing his own granddaughter by mistake. And, and that almost would does. be part of her revenge. She, yes, he almost does. does. He wings her. Yeah. So everyone in this but, house. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that this would be a horror movie without it. It's certainly horrific. There are plenty of yes. horrific oh. events that are described. Absolutely. In this movie, but not a lot that we witness directly. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I actually think it's like it's like if you were to call Blood Diamond a horror movie, you know, like there are horrific things happening in that movie. I would not call it a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would say it was smart to wrap it in the folklore and the magic realism is what they refer to it as, you know, in, in the marketing of this movie. And I, I really like it. I think it adds this very interesting layer to the film. And it, I think, humanizes some more of the conflict of someone like Alma's spirit, you know, because like Alma's is actually a La Llorona. Mm. I think it kind of humanizes some of the horror she went through at the hand of this man's oppressive government. So I, I like the way he went about it, but I was thinking about this today and I realized I've kind of done this to us two years in a row because last yes. year <laughs> I, I picked Tigers Are Not Afraid and, and I love that movie and I love mm. Issa Lopez and she's starting to get more stuff, by the way, which is awesome. I want to call out the fact Good. that she has like three contracts with HBO. But that movie, you could argue the same thing. Like, is this a horror film or is it a film about these children experiencing the horrific fallout of the cartels in Mexico City? And it just so happens that we've wrapped it in some horror elements to package it in a way that really makes you think about it a little differently than you would have otherwise or might entice you to see it if you weren't going to. And and I think that's probably the case there, too. Well, I think... Tigers are not, I was thinking the same thing, actually. It was like, this is very, has a very similar tone to it, I think. Mm -hmm. But Tigers are not afraid. They really leaned in. Isa Lopez leans way into the magical part of the magical realism. 
she does. There's more like actual monsters being portrayed in really fantastical Del Toro-esque ways. You right. are 100% you right. You see the ghosts in a much more horrific fashion. You mm-hmm. see, you know, drawings come to life. You see the stuffed tiger come to life. Yeah, spoilers. You see- <laughs> <laughs> spoilers from last year. The stuffed tiger come to life. But it also sort of helps highlight the fact that they're children in that movie, you know, and they have more vivid imaginations. And this is more the vivid hallucinations that people experience are through dreams. Mm-hmm. Carmen has, I think, three separate dreams or visions of her running with a young boy and young girl from government or paramilitary troops trying to escape. And it's horrific for her. And it really puts her in the the place of the people who suffered it. Um. Mm-hmm. But it's not nearly as horror movie-ish in its approach. Agreed. Speaking of Carmen, uh, to me, I think she has the most interesting character arc of the film because Carmen is portrayed initially as this very stoic, this incredibly stoic but somewhat wise matriarch in this family that that I think she... She knows that there are some very bad things that have happened. She is not not only at her husband's hand within the country, but also his nature to be not a terribly faithful husband either. Like she, She's not ignorant of these things by any means, but she has chosen to live her life ignoring them, if that makes sense, yeah. and giving him a pass all the way to the point where th- there is that scene where she's speaking to her daughter and she says, yeah, you know, like, if we keep looking at the past, we'll become salt statues. Your dad told me that all these women ran up to them and wanted their help. And then what the men did with these women behind closed doors, your dad never knew about, right? Like she was drinking a little bit of that Kool-Aid. But well, toward the end, when she starts getting those lie your own visions, she comes around. Well, and she, I mean, she has always for a long time, you know, tried to, I guess, shield her family from the stuff she knew was probably happening. Right. And she's like trying to shield her daughter and granddaughter. Cause like she has that, cause she's not like pretending that the father did nothing because she even says like, uh, uh what, what is her name? The housekeeper. Oh, uh, Valeriana. Yeah. Valeriana. She's like, that's probably your sister. I I'm aware that's probably your half sister. Uh, and then like, even when then, she goes and confronts her dad about it. He's like, you already know. You're aware of these sins of my past. Like, she is culpable, I think, in a lot more than uh, than she pretends to be. Mm-hmm. At least in terms of, like, enduring it, right? She didn't ever leave. Mm-hmm. She stayed with him and was like, well, he, but, you know, he's this great man, or I don't know. Right. I think she did what a lot of women who are married to powerful men do, which is make a deal with herself, you know, what am I willing to overlook to stand by my man and help bolster his image as best I can without, I don't know, you know, how much am I willing to besmirch my own soul to support this man and what benefit do I get out of it? But I was stopping and thinking about it and wondering, you know, the general was willing to disappear his own son-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what what might he do to a wife who turned against him? 
I was thinking about that too. Also, like how it's it's one thing I want to always be careful with is whenever you see a depiction of a patriarchal household where scary dad is in charge, it's always not the easiest thing for a partner to leave. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a very dangerous thing to do so. And that happens all the time in real life. You know, it is self-preservation, not always standing by your man of like, you have to stay here because there's nowhere for you well to go. And I can't help but wonder if a woman in her position or even his children to a certain extent, where do you go when, when your dad controls the entire country? Like you're not just going to go buy a Southwest flight on out of Guatemala. <laughs> there, there are not a ton of options for you. I think that's really fair that she was as much in a position where she was as powerless as anything and just trying to maybe make those sort of excuses to just survive and get through. But she also doesn't seem torn up, though. That's the other thing that weirds me out about her character is that in the early parts of this movie, before she starts having some of these visions from La Llorona, no one in this family seems to understand the gravity of their war crimes. <laughs> and and I, I read an interview with the with the director where he, you know, he he wanted to also showcase the repression of guilt mm-hmm. and and how you can go so far down your own rabbit hole of convincing yourself that this is not a problem when the entire country is bombarding the outside of your house that you don't you no longer feel guilt and you truly believe that you are right. And the whole family kind of is that way because like, yes, the father's that way, most certainly. But the mother, Carmen, is all too eager to complain about how the the servants are leaving and we give you tortillas. Why would you leave? (laughs) Like, okay, maybe it's because dad's walking around the house shooting walls at night. And on top of all that, I, I don't tend to have a lot of sympathy for Natalia throughout this movie because she just I the entire movie is just like, man. He's dead, bad. And then, <laughs> and then, and then she's like watching the news all the time. And the news is like, "Yeah, Natalia, your dad's real bad." And then she kind of just goes back to, "Man." <laughs> and I don't, I don't feel like Natalia grows much in this film, and that bothers me. I think her daughter picks up on it. I think her daughter learns that that what is happening is wrong. But I don't really think Natalia ever learns. Well, because the, these aren't like crimes that were happening like currently, right? Like it probably was happening while Natalia was like young. And right. given the power dynamics in the country, how much are they really learning about what happened? You know? Right. And she's growing up like with everybody being like, your father is this amazing man who represents Guatemala and Guatemalan values and blah, 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 blah. And like, that's a difficult thing then to have to like totally undo, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Right. He's trying to create a unified national identity by getting like rid of getting all rid of the of ethnic minorities. People. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, name a time unified national identity wasn't a problem. <laughs> right. Good Lord. Yeah. But I mean, she's, I think Natalia's starting to come to terms with it. She's not, you know, for a woman smart enough to become a medical doctor. Yeah, she certainly doesn't seem very aware, or maybe she doesn't want to be aware because she leads a pretty comfortable life. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure her father pays for the house that she and her daughter live in. We don't ever see them in it during this movie because they're sheltering in the general's house for this particular week mm-hmm. that's going on. But you see her talking to her mom and saying, "I don't know. I believe the testimony of those women. Why would you make up stuff like that?" and 
coming to terms with it. And yet she stays in the house and is like literally trying to meditate out in the backyard while right. protesters are yelling the general is a genocidal murderer outside their gates. They got but, some good chants going on. They have some good, like <laughs> even in a different language, I could feel the beat of them. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I hate this guy too. <laughs> But also like similar thing, like even if she goes out there and she's like, my father's bad. Some people are going to be like, well, uh, you're his daughter. And so we can't get to him. We'll get to you. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. another factor is how safe would it be for her to leave? Even if she publicly tore him down and repudiated him and yelled about him, there would still be people who would want to hurt her because of him. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, uh, absolutely agreed. And and I want to touch on that claustrophobic nature of the entire film being in the house. I, I really like it. And I think they do it both with the sound design and the cinematography. I love how the sound design is always weaving in pieces of the protest outside because there right. wouldn't be many times in a home like this where it's quiet. Mm -hmm. If you had a constant mob of protesters outside your house at all times. And the film does a great job of sense of place within the house, where despite being a massive house, you can very clearly tell when they're in parts of the house, either inside or outside in the back, that are more susceptible to just the noise volume coming off of these protesters. Mm -hmm. And there's all different elements of that. There's the loud and angry, and we're throwing rocks through windows. There's the somber nighttime, where they're sleeping outside, playing what seems to be a kazoo. I don't really know. There's like a kazoo and a drum player at one point. It's a wind instrument. Okay, some sort of wind instrument, but it's a startling moment of calm amidst what is just a sea of intensity. And then on the on the camera work and the cinematography, one thing I really like about this film is they have these long lingering shots on key areas that seem to get smaller and smaller as you linger on them. And my favorite example of it is after the father sleepwalks, whatever you want to call it, when he goes around the house with, you know, shooting up the house and, and causing problems. Well, he's um, hearing the crying woman. Right. He's hearing La Llorona. He's trying to go find her. That's also part of the myth, obviously, that we didn't mention is that you she, she's always crying, right? You hear her crying all the time mm -hmm. until she's not and she kills you. But he goes into the servants' quarters and kind of accosts Alma and, mm -hmm. um, and they're able to wake him up and kind of get him out of there. And then there's this shot where... Carmen, Natalia, and Sarah are all sitting on the stairs together, and they're in this little triangle. And the way the shot is framed is that it's a perfect square. They're inside of this like this stairwell in in their house, like on these stairs, and everything is a perfect square. All the edges are slowly, you know, fading to black because there's nothing beyond just this staircase that they're sitting on. And it almost looks like you're watching a four by three aspect ratio shot. And it's just beautifully colored. You know, you see all the dark red hues of the cedar floor uh, of the rosewood floor. And you see the light coming down from up above where there's clearly a light bulb on the second part of where the of where the stairwell goes up and it's just this beautiful shot that slowly moves in and just feels more claustrophobic and upsetting the longer this family sits there and doesn't even have a lot of dialogue they just sit there in disbelief because they seem completely frustrated and and dismayed and beaten at the fact that they can't do anything about this you can't go outside you can't get dad help you can't put them in a hospital 
you're stuck in this house with him and this is all happening and there's nothing you can do. Right. And it's just, it's a really lingering, interesting shot. And they do a couple of those in the film. Right. I do want to compliment when they do it in reverse as well with the trial where they start in super tight on the veiled Mm -hmm. face of the woman who's testifying. A las mujeres nos violaron y después comenzaron las matanzas. And then very slowly, as she's giving her testimony and the translator is then relaying her words, the camera's backing out very slowly. It's backing out, it's backing out, it's backing out. And you see behind her more and more and more people who are here to testify against this man and to witness this trial. And it's just sort of bringing in the the number of victims of this man. You know, they're sort of representing a larger and larger population of right. people who are bearing witness against him. Mm-hmm. I thought... Just it was really interesting the way the protests were used oftentimes in place of like a soundtrack, Mm. like you would have these like kind of tense moments in the house and the sound is not music that is slowly welling, but it's just the sound like that made me I'm trying to think like the the reaction game, like it made me uncomfortable in some of those shots, not in like. And uncomfortable, I don't think is necessarily the right word, but I think it was doing the thing that you want a soundtrack to do in a movie, right? It was like kind of provoking my emotions a little bit where it made things mm. tense in a totally different way like i was waiting the whole movie and you get it a couple times people like throw bricks and stuff but like i was waiting for that powder keg to explode and it did i guess in a way when mm. it turns into a group of ghosts that are here for their revenge but that whole time you're just like you're waiting for those protests to like break into the house right right yeah it's a constant level until it isn't yeah. And, and it's when the sound stops. That's unsettling. Right. It it unsettles you even more when it ceases. And then you realize that, oh, there's a group of ghosts in the backyard uh-huh. looking in the window. <laughs> and like, nobody can stop them. Right. Nobody can stop them. They want us to die. We're in trouble here. Right. Get the sugar and all the candles in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Alma, at one point in the earlier part of the film, is just like, chilling with a frog (laughs) and and i do love that foreshadowing because you know they they pulled other foreboding parts of plagues and various problems that are instilled upon guilty parties from other sources rather than just the folklore right like the frogs to me was very biblical that was very second plague you know Mm -hmm. um the pharaoh does not listen and, and let moses lead the jews out of out of Egypt and then they got a ton of frogs and and then actually in the in the Bible the frogs actually all heap together in like these big giant like like frog blobs <laughs> and um I'm sure they're not called frog blobs in Hebrew <laughs> but um point being is they do that in this movie like at one point when they look outside and all the frogs have showed up mm-hmm. they are just in these giant you know moving blobs mm-hmm. yeah yeah but I mean she Alma brings the frog to lure Sarah away from the windows just before they start throwing bricks through them. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I think Alma has a maternal 
instinct over Sarah in this film. I don't think she wants yes. her to, you know, you know, she, she doesn't want her to get hurt. That's not the point. And that's what I, I like is that, you know, the traditional vengeful La Llorona of folklore is so often indiscriminate in its murderous tendencies. Mm-hmm. And it's just not the case in this film. La Llorona has specific uh, targets <laughs> and, right. and, and sympathies for those that, that might not, you know, share that guilt. Or share well, that, or share that blame, rather. Yeah, and she's always teaching Sara how to hold her breath underwater longer, and you know, you realize at the end that it's for a really grim reason, right? Because her mm-hmm. own children—it's because her <laughs> children couldn't hold their breath for very long. Mm-hmm. And yeah. The the last thing she asks of Sara is asks her not to drown. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, raise your hand if you thought Granddaughter Sarah was trying to murder Grandpa by taking his O2 tank. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. I totally thought at that point in the movie, Sarah was like, man, Granddad really, clearly this dude sucks. <laughs> yeah, she was using it just to, she was just using it for some late night swimming practice instead. Right. As one does. I mean, not normally, but it is a kid kind of thing to oh, do. Yeah. Well, it's like grandpa's asleep. I could totally you know see a kid I doing bet that. I could stay underwater for ages if I had grandpa's oxygen tank. Not right. thinking he's going to suffocate to death without this. Right. And he's asleep right now, right? Like he doesn't need it mm-hmm. while he's sleeping, right? No, of course not. Yeah, he's relaxed. He's breathing okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I really, really thought he was going to kill his granddaughter in that scene when I first saw mm. this. I was very worried. I thought for sure he would. He, that when it when it cuts, it's another piece of just masterful direction in this film. I think where when he pulls out the revolver, which he clearly had stashed away somewhere because oh, it's yeah. a small weapon, and they've removed other weapons from him at this point. So he had this stashed away somewhere, and he goes out to the pool, and he thinks it's La Llorona, so he starts firing on it. But right as he pulls the trigger, it cuts to inside, where Natalia's looking out at her dad, and her dad is about to ice her daughter in the pool. And you just hear, like, little parts of the gunshot, not like a loud bang, because you're seeing it from inside. And it's just so much more distressing at that point, because he gets off, like, three or four shots before it actually takes you back outside with the camera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh, I, I will say the filmmaking in this movie is it's just really well done. It like trusts its audience. It shows them things in an interesting way. It's not like totally in your face in a number of ways. Like right. there's just some it's really not flashy. Right, yeah. It's really no. clever filmmaking a lot of the time. Uh, a question you had, Nicole, why does security had Laytona change his loyalty and allow himself to be led away at the end? Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> he had to know he was abandoning the general at that point. Yeah, he was abandoning his post. And there was kind of something where he said, you know, you don't want to open these certain doors because you don't want to know what's behind them. Like, seems like he understood. But there, I guess there was not really enough of his character, like, shown having any doubts for anything like that to pay off. So, yeah, I don't know. No, it's just the conversation he has with Natalia where she asks him if he knows anything about, doesn't he think it's weird how her husband disappeared? And he says, he gives a very, you know, Fifth Amendment reply to it. I have no knowledge of that. I have no knowledge about that. And you shouldn't concern yourself with these sorts of things. And it's, should she not concern herself with those sorts of things? Because 
he doesn't want her upset or is it because he thinks something bad will happen to her if she starts poking into it? Mm. That I don't know. I, I don't know. I agree with you guys that, or at least certainly what, what you just said, David, that it doesn't flesh out enough of his character to understand if there is a a moral crisis he goes through at some point. You just don't spend enough time with him. Mm-hmm. I wish it would, though. He seems super interesting. You know, he seems he does. very competent. He's, I don't know what it is. Something about the way the actor portrays him. He comes off as being a principled man let's say, mm-hmm. not necessarily right. moral or immoral, but principled. And it makes me curious, you know, how did he come to work for him? How does he convince himself to stay working for this man? What's going through his head? What's his life like? Or is his life only in the mansion and being this man's head of security? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know we often levy the complaint at films that that they're too long and that they should spend less time on things but at a film that's barely over an hour and a half i think it would have been justified adding 20 minutes more of character development throughout to to spend a little bit more time with some of these characters i think it could yeah yeah i think so that definitely would have been a good uh addition that was juan pablo olislager played latona he does a great job yeah, I think there are definitely some characters that like really could have had more of a role and would have added more to it. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a, like a tight film, but it does feel like a couple of things could have been expanded upon and it would not have felt like a waste of time. But I, I appreciate the movie that tries to keep everything kind of tight. Right. Yeah, for sure. And it is. This is the story and we're not going to get distracted from this story right here. I have a point mm-hmm. to make and we're not going to go tootling around somewhere else. We're getting to the point. Yeah. And talking about, you know, Latona, Latona is one of seven named cast members, you know, throughout this mm-hmm. film in house. So you definitely could spend more time with them. I think effectively, if you wanted to, uh, this film can also very definitely be a play. It's one of those films that would work really well. I think on the stage, if they wanted to adapt it, if they wanted to do that, I think you could, do something really cool with it in that regard yes. because of the the nature of the way it's created. Right. I'd love to see more from Valeriana. You know, what's her life like? Oh, yeah. I would love to see more from her. Why does she come to the house? Why does she stay at the house? Does she realize that the general is probably her father? Yeah, absolutely. This film was added to, to the Criterion Collection almost right after its release. Mm-hmm. And I want to get it just because of the Criterion artwork on it. It's just so good. Like, they do a great job with artwork. It is beautiful. But they, they it's got killer artwork. But I wanted to call out, because I'll have to buy it at some point. It does include a 2K digital remaster, a new interview with the director, documentary on making of the film, a new English subtitle translation. So maybe there was some... Maybe now that it's with Criterion, they can spend a little more money and make sure it's actually totally right. I'm guessing that's probably what that is. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then plus an essay uh, by journalist and novelist Francisco Goldman. So it seems like it'd be an interesting Criterion nab at some point uh, next time there's a Barnes & Noble sale. But uh, right. I'm curious to see some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah, I rented this off of Amazon. And boy, was that tricky to do. It really wanted me to get a shutter trial in order to watch this. <laughs> yeah. But... I rented it and some of the subtitles, rather than telling you which character is speaking, it just tells you what language they're speaking in. Yes. Yeah. I saw that too on Voodoo. So I was sitting there wondering who, well, who is that? Why are they, who are they saying it to? What is this about? 
And it was just very confusing at points. Yes. And I am absolutely positive that's a budgetary function of a of a international shutter original. And then when it mm-hmm. finally got a claim, maybe we had some money with Criterion to fix that up. Yeah. So I, I'd be curious to see a different version of this. I do want to call out, you know, another topic from you, Nicole. The symbolism in the group of the Mayan, is it Mayan Ishil? Ishil is how they pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Mayan Ishil? Yes. Women. Uh, so they're all dressing alike. They're all veiled, but in vibrant color. These, of course, are the women who are the the many witnesses to the atrocities in this trial. You know, the right. one woman speaking that we see, this austere women, woman who is slowly recounting this horrific thing that happened to her, and much like the witnesses from the 2013 trial, is now an older woman, you know, because as we mentioned, this had likely happened to her decades before. And they're all witnesses, I think, in the trials, what I was going to say, because she's like witness 82 or something like that. So mm-hmm. they've been doing this for a long time, and, and all these women have been speaking. But the symbolism of those colors. Right. I think all these women have been through, you know, having to flee the security forces and starving and exposure. And finally, they get driven down to the military base where they get abused by the soldiers there. And it's just an interesting, it's so interesting visually. And I mean, again, this it's right out of the actual trial. You know, this is what happened. All these women showed up wearing, I, I guess, maybe it's traditional dress of the area the Mm -hmm. the vibrant colors mostly red but i suspect they're all veiled maybe partly to conceal their identities and part you know so that they can't be differentiated easily from one another as well just by stature or how they speak or what have you you know sort of a just a safety in numbers kind of thing but also a solidarity i'm like the this is our people who were abused. We're representing our people here. So I don't know. That's something that I need to look more into. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I did see, you're absolutely right, Nicole, the presence of a cotier of veiled indigenous women in the courtroom poetically corroborates this parallel, bringing the memory of Guatemala's Maya genocide trial held in March of 2013. You know, again, women wear wore near identical pieces of, of clothing to, to this film. What's that you're reading so, from? I am reading that from the National Catholic Reporter. Oh, God, that's scary. All right. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to trust the National. Man. I mean, it's kids, some you can, you know, sometimes. I'm sure, but... hey, 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 I'm sure the National Catholic Reporter is a fine news organization, but I am personally going to find a news organization to reaffirm this. That is not part of a uh, religious organization. Anyway, that's 101 on journalism today, kids. <laughs> that's I got some of my summary from the International Justice Monitor. It's a project of the Open Society Justice Initiative. That's better. So uh, it offers news and analysis of some of the most significant trials of our time. Well, there you go. Oh, here we go. All right. Now I'm looking at Human Rights Watch, and they have photos go. of all these women in the audience that are wearing. This looks just like the film. Right. Interesting. All right. Very cool. Yeah. I, I don't know what the symbolism is, uh, but but I, I do think you're right, Nicole. There is a solidarity to it. There is an anonymity to it as well, I think. Mm. Um, what language are the indigenous folks speaking in this film? Because uh, they need to have a translator there to convert it to Spanish. 
some of it's Ishil, some of it's, it, it depends on what region they're from, because there are Mayan people in several regions of Guatemala. Mm-hmm. So I think it's primarily Ishil that they're speaking, but it could be Quiche, it could be, you know, a sub-variety. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Not Spanish. There, there's some options. <laughs> yeah. Or at least not like direct and, Spanish. Like there's probably right. some level of crossover. But. An indigenous language or yes. an indigenous dialect. Yeah. I also, I'll put a link to this in our in our show doc. Um, the UN's website has this long breakdown of Guatemalan women who rose for justice in a war-torn nation during this time. And it breaks down specific instances that inspired this film, oh, you know, such cool. as what happened in Sapur Zarco in 1982. This was a military rest outpost. And this was where the torture and killing of indigenous men and the rape and slavery of indigenous women mm-hmm. perpetrated by the, the government forces that were at that outpost. So that, to my understanding, was was one of the primary influences on at least what happens to the character of Alma in this movie. So right. interesting. We'll drop that in the, in the docket. On that fun note, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to talk just very briefly about the final moment of this movie, which is that and you won't catch it unless you're listening, unless you've really strongly identified Carmen's voice or you're just reading the subtitles. But when the screen goes to black at the end of the movie and you hear La Llorona, you know, scream my children, it's Carmen screaming it, not Alma. Yeah. So it's just interesting to me. I don't I don't know what to make of it. I want to ask you guys. I To me, it's kind of like Carmen has become part of the ethos of this broader lore like she is now another woman who has been exposed to the to the visions of la llorona and maybe feels her pain in a unique way i'm not sure what to make of it she's the one who executes their revenge finally Mm -hmm. yeah correct yeah i I, yeah i think spiritually in a way she's maybe part of it all right right and recognizing what horrible things have been done to the indigenous people and maybe a, a little of it is she has failed to protect her children from this horrible truth of what their father did, you know, and she's right feeling for them there. But I think it's primarily just that she's been empathizing now with the people who lost so much. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Well, I, I really wish the last thing I'll say is I really wish people in this house would learn not to walk around at night. It seems like everyone <laughs> is more than happy to take like nighttime joy rides through the house and all the corridors after knowing that dad is all too likely to be walking around armed and dangerous. But goodness, do like half of the things in this movie that happen that are bad happen because <laughs> someone is walking around at night when they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that's when you're your most vulnerable, right? It's when you're your most alone. I guess so. That's when you can spy on the help taking a swim at night. And that was not his first time spying on the help, you know? No, I doubt that very much. Nope. Not his first time visiting their quarters in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we didn't even talk about the mysterious mold either. Oh, yeah. Then there's the the mold. That's witchcraft. Not just black mold. Like, like, I yeah, don't know. It looks like mold to me. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you having respiratory yeah. issues? Well, probably the black mold. 
could just be a leak in the roof that's going down inside the wall. Right. Yeah. Also, just like as a former homeowner who had a leak <laughs> in the roof that went down inside the wall and created, you know, mold at the bottom of the of the drywall. Yeah, and you can't just scrub that off the wall. They're gonna got. They're gonna need to take that wall out. No, you gotta rip <laughs> that out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Well, well, he's never going to get a chance to, as Nicole did say, um, Carmen does strangle her husband to death at the end of this film with the spirit of La Llorona flowing through her. And it's just like such an interesting way to wrap it all up, right? Because like it happens and there's that shot where she's standing or she's over him and the family's watching and it's just silent. You know, it's like the ghost, the ghost didn't manifest and, and kill him. Like you could in a way, like make an argument of like, she just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> And mm-hmm. finally, like, put this man who's making their lives miserable out of the story. Just, I just really like, I just liked how it wrapped up so quick, and like, you know, immediately what happened, and it's just like, oh, okay, this this all makes sense, and it's interesting, and it's different, right? Absolutely agreed. Well, guys, thanks for checking it out. I, I'm happy we got a good discussion out of it. I think it's an interesting film. Uh, does anyone have any final thoughts on it before we close up? No. <laughs> Cool. I wish we were sponsored by Shudder, but we're not. You can still sign up for it. Hey, Shudder, you want to sponsor us? Yeah, if, right. If we by any chance you're one of our, you know, dozens of listeners, you can <laughs> <laughs> let us know. Uh, alas. All right. Very good. Well, on that note, uh, a reminder next week is you did this to us. It'll come out on Halloween Day, which is very exciting. Uh, check in the show notes or earlier in the episode when Nicole mentioned it in editing, because we don't know right now, but we will know very soon what you vote on. A reminder that our You Did This To Us film for this year's movie Ghoul Round will be The Snowman from 2017. Well, let's go around the horn where we find everybody online. Uh, Nicole, where can people find you? You can find me taking care of our Facebook page at facebook.com slash moviegoroundpodcast. Very good. And you, David? Avlaz, that's D-A-V-L-U-Z, Twitter and Instagram. Find me there. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. Find the show and all of these links at social.mgrpodcast.com. You can go ahead and follow along there if you'd like to follow on Facebook or on Twitter, and you can too be updated when you did this to us. It's time for voting. We'll see you next week with that, though, as we continue Movie Ghoul Around. Convierte tu angustia en calma, llorona, y la madrugada en un rocío. Convierte tu angustia en calma, llorona, y la madrugada.